This is Event Masters. Behind the scenes stories, experiences, and lessons shared by the world's leading event experts. Hosted by Christian Napier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Event Masters. And today's amazing guest is Bev Carey. We'll get into her experience here, which is vast, in just a moment. But before we do, Bev, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. It's great to see you. Well, it's great to see you as well. And it's been a minute since we last spoke, but I really appreciate you carving out the time to share your experience with us. And speaking of that experience, let me just kind of go through the the bio of Bev because she's amazing. She's worked every Olympic Games, I think, since the Salt Lake 2002 Games, so running through Beijing 2022. Uh, 2022 World Athletic Championships, which were held in Eugene, Oregon last year, the 2021 Olympic Team Trials, Track and Field, 2016 Invictus Games, 2015 Special Olympics World Games, FIFA World Cup, U.S. Open Tennis Championship, and then Major League Baseball with the Atlanta Braves and uh, American Football, the National Football League, Super Bowls, uh, a couple of those, as well as uh, working directly for some really high-profile, famous brands uh, like Reebok, Adidas, Target, SoulCycle, and Smuckers. Uh, Bev, I've known you for a long time. You've done a lot of different things in these events. We're going to talk about these, uh, but focus on integrated, complex strategic planning, major event operations, operational readiness incident and crisis management planning, facilitation. You've got all kinds of certifications from FEMA, uh, which is the in the U.S. Uh, is the Federal uh, Emergency Management Institute, uh, including special events, contingency planning, and emergency program management certifications, proficient in workshop design and delivery, attended the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts in London while working for the London uh, 2012 Olympic and Paralympic uh, Organizing Committee for the 2012 Games. Uh, Bev is super passionate about connecting with people, uh, connecting audiences with mission, brand, and celebration, and believes that major events have the power to create transformative action. And I think that's one of the reasons we're in these careers. Bev is also an avid runner, a marathon finisher. I couldn't even start one. A reader, learner, traveler, uh, driven by what I like. Uh, I love this in your biography. Purposeful accountability. Uh, Beverly is the director of Women in Sport and Events. The acronym is WISE uh, within the Atlanta Chapter Membership Program. So it is my honor to welcome you, Bev, to our humble podcast today. How are you? Thank you. I'm great. That's that's quite a greeting. <laughs> it makes me, I don't know if it ages me or makes me tired, but <laughs> thank you for that. That was fun. <laughs> oh, that was a lot of fun. So, you know, <laughs> you know, maybe uh, the place to start with all of that is at the beginning because, you mm -hmm. know, uh, we all had our different ways and our different paths into getting involved in this crazy industry, the major mm -hmm. event industry. And so what was your story? How did you get involved in this weird business yeah it, honestly it was a it was sort of a lightning in a bottle moment or incident and i was in um started out working in advertising so i was in boston and i went to boston university and i was working there happily um in advertising uh, for hill holiday and i was doing a lot of print production advertising and kind of bouncing through and enjoying life really and um we had an opportunity to work 
one of my clients or the accounts I was working on was John Hancock. Um, and they at the time were a top sponsor of the Olympic program. And when the games were in Sydney, uh, we were able to do a little bit of the print production for um, some of the John Hancock promotional things that would be um, in Sydney. And it was really, really cool for me. I just felt this sort of connection to to sport and to the Olympic movement. And I had grown up um, in figure skating, which, you know, obviously has a huge Olympic piece to it. And everybody's focused on the Olympic Games, even if you're nowhere near going, which would have been me in that case. But um, but it was still enough that I, I spent most of my growing up years um, on an ice rink. And so, um, you know, I just started to get a little bit of this pull. And um, very luckily for me, the next Olympic Games were in Salt Lake in 2002 in my home country. And um, there happened to be um, an internship that I had learned about that was in figure skating. Um, and short track speed skating. And I thought, oh, that's a long shot, but I'm going to give it a go and just see, you know, if I can even get a connection with someone and um, was able to get that internship. And, you know, it was a real kind of like, all right, which way do we go direction? Because it was unpaid and it was very clear, this is going to be unpaid all the way through the games, you know, but we'd love to have you if you're interested in doing it. And so it was just a no brainer. I quit my job and I drove across the country and just sort of into the hands of this amazing um, sports team for figure skating and short track within that um, OCOG. And I embraced it. And, you know, I said, whatever they tell me to do, I'm going to do. Like, if it's pick up trash, I'll pick up trash. If it's like, whatever, I'm in. And, um, and very luckily, I ended up getting hired um, into the OCOG uh, a few months in. So I got very lucky with that and took a chance and it happened to work. So that was fun. All right. We need to unpack this a little bit. First of all, you said, Oh, well, I, you know, I enjoy figure skating, but I was nowhere near the level of Paul. Okay. Well, well you know, it's a very, very small percentage, but you were no slouch yeah. when it comes to the figure skating. And in fact, if I recall correctly, you'll have to, again, correct me if I'm wrong here. I will too. Uh, uh, you were actually, invited to participate in the uh, ceremonies at Salt Lake 2002 because uh, you were such a good right. skater, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, that sort of did happen. It was literally just a, I think it was because I could stand up and do multiple crossovers at once. We were on a, we were skating, actually, um, a good friend of mine who you may have on this podcast, Michelle Thornberry, was the uh, on the venue side for the ceremonies and and there was an open ice here that we were literally just all skating on this amazing Olympic ice that would be for the opening ceremony. Um, just checking it out, making sure it's working, getting people on it. And uh, so, of course, I took that opportunity to go, you know, throw my skates on. And so, yeah, there was a moment of like, why aren't you doing this? And um, it was because I was doing the other side of it <laughs> on the other side of the ice. So, yeah, it was sort of a funny moment. But um, yeah, skating was great. I mean, it taught me so many things about the way I am in my career now and passion for sport and um, even teamwork and, and, you know, all that stuff. It, it's just, it was a great sport to be a part of, but yeah, it is the few and far between that are at that level. <laughs> well, I want to get into the teamwork aspects and some of that uh, in a moment, but coming back to your entry into this mm -hmm. industry, you mentioned you working for John Hancock and you make this decision to leave a paid position and go for an internship. I mean, that can't necessarily be an easy decision. What was going through your mind as you were contemplating whether or not to take this opportunity mm -hmm. to actually forego a, a you know, potentially a career, a well-paying job mm -hmm. 
to going into something with that had maybe a little bit of uncertainty associated with it. Yeah, it certainly did. I, I don't know. I think there's something about uncertainty that attracts me and uh, the challenge of it seemed interesting. And it was just one of those things of like, I can't not be part of this. There's just, that's not happening. Right. So what are the alternatives to that not happening is just doing it and figuring it out. And uh, I think there were probably more questions of my family <laughs> when I told them that I was quitting this job and going across country. Uh, they supported me, of course, but I think that there were some people thinking, what is she doing? Um, but I, it never, I never looked back and it was, you know, it was, it didn't even need to become a regret because it, it worked out so well. Um, and I think it's just, that's kind of driven me through the rest of this crazy event career is just, you know, if the opportunity is there, take it, like you'll figure out the details, but just take the opportunity because, it, you know, they don't come around that often. And, um, I think it was the right call in the end. So why don't you explain a little bit what it was that you were doing there at the Salt Lake uh, Organizing Committee, SLOC sure. as we called it then, <laughs> and then how you transitioned out of that. Because, you know, oftentimes people work uh, in Olympic Games and then that's it. It's kind of a one and done thing. And then they go back to the regular careers. Uh, that was not the case for you. So why don't mm -hmm. you explain a little bit about the role that you had and then what you mm -hmm. did after those games ended? Sure. Yeah, so I kind of bounced around a little bit, honestly, when I got into the OCOG. The first um, four organizing committees, you know, we have a series of test events that happen in each venue prior to the Olympic Games um, going live. And that gives us an opportunity to test all kinds of things um, as a field of play and our volunteer system and just all the things that, that make it happen. And so I did the Four Continents, which is a figure skating championship. Um, as my first sort of at bat, that was at the internship level and worked with the sport team there. Um, so sort of everything to do with athletes, field of play, making sure the volunteers around the sport piece, that the um, technical officials, all of that have what they need um, and everything is set. So I did that. Um, and then I think I did the very same thing for the curling test event. It was just sort of figuring out where I'm going to be here in this space. Um, and I had an opportunity to do a couple of things within the OCOG that were presented that just didn't feel like what I was there to do. And that was really to, to not only just be a part of that figure skating team, but to experience um, things happening in the venue. That was really where I was driven to. And so I ended up, um, when I was actually hired, we realized that the training venue for figure skating in short track, because it had two sports in it and kind of high profile sports that we needed somebody there who could sort of dedicate um, their time and their attention to what was happening at the training venue. So I got in my mind, very, very lucky in that I was on the sport team, but also had this venue management component to this role. Um, and almost in a really safe way because it was a little bit smaller. It was a training venue. Um, and I can learn all the nuances, the ins of out of how to run a venue, how to run a venue team, all those functions coming together and yet still having my hand in the sport side of it as well. So that was the role for Salt Lake. Um, and I took that on and um, really, really loved it. And in the back of my mind, I just thought, this is a one and done. Like, how am I going to do this again? You know, I mean, this is so hard to make happen anyway. Um, and certainly, you know, if the Olympic Games obviously go country to country and the next games were Athens in 2004. And, um, you know, I thought, uh, how would I do that? But I got to, I want to figure out how I want to keep doing this if I can. And I knew that there were some people who had been able to accomplish that. And um, I, through some people that I knew in Salt Lake that I had met 
Um, there was a company called the Intercon Group that provided um, incident management and more the operational readiness side um, of how these big events come together. And they happen to be based in Atlanta, which is my hometown. And um, so I had an opportunity to work with them and, and go and do some operational readiness in Athens. So I, I put on a new hat, really, and that venue management piece and the sport piece, all the having the opportunity to see a lot of that in one go um, helped me be able to move into an operational readiness role. And that's how I then got to go to Athens and um, did a couple of games um, under that, I guess, uh, discipline. And, um, you know, everyone is a battle. It's not it's not guaranteed that you can do the next one. So it's a lot of hustling. As you know very well, Christian, it's a lot of hustling at times. Well, tell me this. Uh, so you're, you're, you're kind of going from uh, one organizing committee to the next, mm. maybe in different roles, uh, like you mentioned, operational readiness there. Uh, but then you've got these brands, right? So working mm-hmm. with uh, sponsors, working with partners, so how do you transition from working in an organizing committee doing operational readiness mm. to working with some of the world's biggest brands? Mm. Yeah, that's, um, you know, everything that I've done has always been because of a relationship that I've built, right? With somebody, whether it's in the OCOG or was a part of just this Olympic beast that comes together, whether they were, you know, from a sponsor, from a federation, whatever it may be, building those relationships has been the key for me in all those ways. And so... Um, I think coming out of Salt Lake, you know, I worked under a venue general manager, Cecilia Paglia, many of you know, is a genius. Um, she actually was working for Reebok uh, and had taken a leave to come and do the Salt Lake Games. And so I was able to move into doing some events for Cecilia and Reebok. And that taught me a little bit more about how to look at this from the brand perspective um, and understanding that, you know, when you're talking about a brand, you're really talking about an experience that's a little bit more intimate, you know, the Olympic games is this massive thing and everybody's there for the sport and the, you know, bringing the countries together and all that stuff for a brand. It's really about promoting this brand. What is this? Is it a service? Is it a product? Is it, what is it going to do? How's it going to make someone's life better? Right. And how can we integrate the, the people who are going to hopefully be interested in this product with the product in a way that's exciting. Right. And so, it's a bit of a mind shift there, um, but it really, for me, just solidified that idea of the experience of everything, the, using all the senses, right? Touching it, feeling it, smelling it, whatever it is, has the ability to, you know, move someone in a direction towards something, right? And um, so looking at it from the brand perspective has helped me, I think, just drill down a little bit more into why we're doing this. So um, it's been cool to work with some of those those bigger brands and some of them have a bit, are a lot more corporate, right, than um, an OCOG or an LOC. And so I'm, I've been happy to be able to generate those skills that if I walk into a, a corporate environment that I still feel pretty comfortable there. So um, that's been a bonus. All right. I want to talk about these skills in a minute because you were given and presented opportunities to work mm-hmm. in many different areas. And sometimes that can be scary. I'll just be completely honest. I remember mm-hmm. working for the Rio 2016 Olympic and Paralympic bid. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was working with Event Knowledge Services at the time. Craig McClatchy asked me if I would oversee the project dealing with government guarantees, getting all these guarantees from the national government, the state governments, mm-hmm. the, the local governments. Thinking to myself, I don't know squat about guarantees. <laughs> I'm not an attorney. Uh, 
I, I don't have a career working in government, uh, but for whatever reason, I'm like, okay, sure. Yeah, I'll do that. And I'm wondering what it is that just allows you to say, yes, I can do this uh, to overcome any kind of limiting belief that says, well, I'm not really an expert in this. I don't really deserve to do this or, or it's too scary for me to take on this kind of an opportunity and learn something new, you know, mm -hmm. to learn about doing operational readiness or working with these brands. Now, of course, you had some experience with John Hancock and so on and so forth. But, you know, you're getting asked to do new things, working in new sports. Working, you know, like with FIFA, with the Super Bowl, baseball, you know, you've taken on a lot of different things in your career. And it seems to me that you, you know, you've been able to overcome any fears that you may have possibly had to say, you know what? Yeah, I'm game. Let's go. Yeah. I mean, those fears are there every time and certainly anytime I make a shift. And I think there's often a time where I'll come into something new and I find myself really holding back and being an observer in many ways. And I think that's a lot of it is just this insatiable desire to learn new things and observe the way different things are done and not just having one niche or one, you know, viewpoint of, of how things work. And so there's, there's always a fear. I mean, they're, I'm not going to lie that that's, that's present no matter what. And sometimes it's gotten the best of me, no doubt. And I've had to kind of, you know, regroup and, and push forward again. But I think, you know, the bottom line at the end of the day for me is about picturing the end result. And most of the time I'm doing something that is event related or has some kind of experience attached to it. And so if you can envision the end result of what you're trying to get to or what it looks like, then there are some best practices to how to get there. And it sort of doesn't matter, you know, what space you're in. There are nuances to all those spaces. And I know every time I go into something like this or something new that there's always going to be a subject matter expert there. There's always somebody who knows that particular area or that discipline or that industry or that vertical or whatever it is so well that for me as more of a generalist, it's a little bit about learning from that, listening to that, learning that, you know, vernacular, that vocabulary, whatever it is, but understanding that there are some real best practices um, and some innovation that we do with those best practices, but that we can use those to get to the end result. So I guess that's what I hold on to. And there's a confidence in having done it a few times and, and been successful in the end that you're going to figure it out for sure. Um, as long as you're willing to open your mind to those people who know more than you do. Well, I think it's a great example of uh, a way, a method, perhaps, of being able to overcome imposter syndrome, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Especially as a generalist, where you feel like you're the the jack of all yeah. trades, the master of none, uh, mm -hmm. and you're dealing with people who have really deep expertise in, in certain areas. I want to come back to... Uh, you mentioned working with Cecilia. I want to come back to some of the the, the mentors that you had, mm. the the people that you worked with that you found uh, particularly inspiring, uh, that really helped propel your career to the next mm. level. You know, mm -hmm. I know it's hard to name names sometimes, but you know, maybe you could just tell a few stories about some of these people who really mentored you along the way. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I've I've just really, really been lucky in that way, and um, I've had mentors to push me and challenge me, and nurture me, and you know all these things. And we don't get anywhere without that, and we don't, um, you know, we we don't stand a chance. So I mean, from the beginning, yes, it was Cecilia, it was Heather Linhart Zhang who was on the sports side, um, that whole team, Lori Marinci Kuhn and and um, Katie Clifford and Carrie Holt Lashton. I mean, all those guys 
those are family to me now, you know, and they mentored me not only in events, but in how we do events technically, but also how we operate as a team and how we trust one another and how we, you know, hold each other up. I think that was one of the first biggest lessons I learned is that there really is space for all of us um, at the table, at any table. And so it's about being able to find and pull out of people the things that they're the best at. And I've just had people who've done that really well for me. Um, you know, Darren Comer, who was with me at the Intercon group, was really, you know, one of the first people who was really tough on me in terms of you can push better than that. You can do this. You can do that. Why are you questioning it? Just go, you know, um, he was a, a very smart guy and he taught me a lot of really cool, you know, things about being in business and feeling more confident about, you know, we would go into all these different, not only on the sports side, whether it's US Open or the Atlanta Braves, but we also did um, some work for um, the courthouse here in Atlanta after a really big incident had happened for them. And, you know, that was way out of my wheelhouse. I had no business being there whatsoever. But, you know, between his sort of confidence in, in us to be able to do it and in the things that we have experienced and the what we could impart, um, and just kind of watching the way he did it was really inspiring. And I think, you know, I really kept that um, and took that with me. Um, I've had, you know, Michelle Thornberry, who was in Salt Lake on the venue side, has brought me on, let's see, at least two uh, tours with Stars on Ice. So post the Olympic tour, we took all these major, you know, awesome Olympians and, and medalists on the road. Um, to all these different cities. And so, you know, I got to watch her tell me how to live on the road, how to be on a bus, how to, you know, do what you got to do in a venue to get ready for your day when you're not in a hotel, you're in a venue. <laughs> um, all kinds of, you know, crazy things. And um, it's just by watching that you learn in many ways. Um, so that has been really great. Um, I have, you know, peers that are, um, you know, kind of on the same path with me, the Jackie Edmonstons, I am your trip, all these people who I've worked with you know, shoulder to shoulder in many cases, but have also taught me so many things that I would never have known or seen or um, challenged me on certain things about myself, um, about the way that I work. And so I think, you know, you, it's a self-reflection back on you when you're listening to that um, and letting those things, you know, draw you forward. Um, and so, yeah, I've been able to have a lot of, a lot of really good um, mentors in this industry um, and in other industries as well that, you know, aren't even in the event world um, that have really, you know, just sort of said, hey, here's some of the things that you I think you have the superpower in. And here are some areas where, you know, you might be able to upskill a little bit and being able to listen to that. upskill. It's not always easy to hear that. You don't always love hearing the things that maybe you're lacking in or you're not as strong in. But those to me have been the, the most important it's where I've spent a lot more time. The superpower almost comes naturally, but the other stuff, um, you know, I, I appreciate that I've had people who have been honest with me and who have been um, helpful for me, you know, in taking those next steps. Well, I appreciate you mentioning that, you know, sometimes uh, people think we should just focus on our strengths, uh, but I think it's important also for us to, acknowledge our weaknesses and focus on those and help mm -hmm. turn those into strengths with the help of other people. Uh, this is not an easy journey, as you have pointed out in our conversation. And the way that I thought of these big events, generally speaking, is, is it's overcoming a series of impossible obstacles and mm. meeting, you know, these impossible deadlines and delivering anyway and and uh yeah and so i'm curious you know in your experience 
you know, maybe you can share one or two stories of these challenges that you faced, which, mm. which you thought were these challenges are huge. Like there's mm. no way we're going to actually pull this event off. And yet you <laughs> find a way you know, the team finds yeah. a way to make it happen mm. anyway. You know, so mm. why don't you, why don't you share with us you know, one or two of those kinds of stories? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, probably the most recent stuff comes to mind. So last year I worked on the world championships, track and field athletic championships in Eugene, Oregon. And the challenge there is that it's this, you know, massive event, obviously it's going on right now in Budapest. If, if anyone's tuning in, do so. It's super exciting. And, and Budapest has built this uh, for purpose venue, which is really, really cool to see. And um, we had the same in, in Oregon and Eugene with Hayward field, the new Hayward field been renovated. It's fit for purpose. It's, it's track and field from A to Z, and it just doesn't get better than that. Um, but Eugene is a college town. You know, it's a it's a small town, and you're bringing this global massive event um, and one that usually has far more space in every kind of way, from the, the arrival at the airport to the hotels to the venue itself, um, which all of these things are fantastic, and Eugene is a great place to be. Uh, but with this much, you know, impact on that on that town, um, it was really one of those things of are we even literally just going to have enough space to do this, right? To put all the things that we need from the technical aspects of the track and field event on the sports side to the broadcast piece, this massive broadcast piece with nowhere to really, you know, put all of these trucks and all this equipment um, and trying to keep people motivated. A lot of people, you know, not done an event of this size before. Um, and so there were a lot of challenges in getting to the start line and, and every day it was just sort of like holding all the things in place. Like I, I think people probably literally were like holding different cables and wires and things in place and just hoping that this thing doesn't just blow. Um, and so that was, that was really a very challenging event, um, rewarding in a lot of ways, but, um, I definitely had to get creative and I know everyone who worked on that event had to get creative and we, we banded together and. And we got it done, you know, so that that's one. Um, I think, you know, being in countries that, uh, you know, whether it's in Sochi, Russia um, or in Torino and in Italy or any country that is not your own, um, just trying to navigate, you know, the cultural differences and the language barriers and, and, and still working with people um, to get something done and knowing that that deadline, I mean, we, we talk about it all the time that one of the reasons that at least for me that I'm drawn to this is that that deadline does not move. It just does not move. So whatever it is on the minute that it happens, when you go live and those lights are come on and that broadcast hits, that's what it is. That's what it's going to be. That's it. So, you know, it's just about having time um, and, and really about being as creative as you possibly can in those moments and being super confident that you can troubleshoot things. I mean, there are probably a bazillion stories that I could literally tell here, um, but, you know, they all sort of blend together. And this just one concept of, you know, looking to your left, looking to your right, what resources do you have? What people do you have? How can you solve this, you know, move the obstacles, find the solutions and just roll with it, right? Um, Vancouver comes to mind, right? We had no snow at Cypress Mountain. For those that were part of that event, they will know far better even than I will. Um, I was a regional manager on the event services side for that. And so dealing with everything with spectators and accreditation and access control and all of that. And um, the team that was there just did like am amazing efforts um, to get all those spectators in the spaces that didn't exist because they were supposed to be built up by snow and there's no snow. So, you know, where you have these plans of snow removal, it was like the opposite of that from snow removal to snow 
to, to bringing snow in and using these massive helicopters and, you know, to see that whole thing unfold and think, it's just not going to happen. Like, there's no, how are we going to do this? There's literally nowhere for these athletes to compete. They have no field play, right? Um, and then to see that come alive and just knowing how much it probably literally almost killed people to 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 get that done, but they did it. Um, it's pretty inspiring. So there's a lot of good stories like that. Well, you know, hearing those challenges and those stories, they're inspirational. There's another side to that, which is the event ends and you can be completely mm. spent. You can be exhausted, mm. right? So mm -hmm. I'm curious from your perspective, how you were able to find a balance or if you were able to find a balance and recover from these events, because, you, you know, in the lead up to them and then during these events, you're working a lot of days, really long hours. It can be really physically, mentally, emotionally exhausting. And so, you know, going through this, how did you and how do you cope with the mm -hmm. strain that, you know, delivering a major event can bring? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I honestly think this is the hardest thing, right? the hardest challenge. It certainly has been for me. I think I've gotten better about it over time. You just, you learn, you know, when you're first in it, certainly in Salt Lake and, and some of those games and other events after that, it was my whole life, right? That, that you just don't even think it's going to end. You don't want to think about it ending. That is just not on your radar. And when it does, it's a grieving period. I mean, it's really, really hard. You're exhausted. You've had this huge experience and now you're supposed to just go back to what? Like normal life as we consider it. What is that? You know? Um, but in reality, normal life is really where your life is. And these are just peaks that happen. Right. And so the more I've been able to learn that, that there is this sort of steady place to come back to um, and that you need to plan for it the same way you plan for the event itself, the same way you operate in the event, you have to plan for the eventuality of it ending and the self-care that goes there and the mental health and all that. I think we're talking more about that, but there still needs to be a lot more conversation and focus on that piece because I think people push themselves so far that it really is difficult to recover and you don't necessarily get back to a good space or it takes a really long time to do that. Um, you know, I think when you're working on an event that's, if you're working on an event for two years or more, it's even harder. You know, some of those events that are shorter, it's like, okay, you know, I, I know it's coming and uh, prepared to go away for a week, That which sometimes is what it is for me, or just to have some downtime, you know, refill the well, don't think about um, what's next and don't try and, and panic that I maybe don't have something straight away. Um, but being able to just ease into that and, um, you know, finding that balance is hard. I mean, you know, I now do it in the, with a different lens than I did five or 10 years ago because I now have a family and um, and that's helpful because I have something, you know, that that grounds me more than the events do. And the events are, are something that really inspire me and fuel me. And I, I, I gravitate towards them. It would be really, really, really hard to let that go completely. Um, but it's not everything, you know, anymore. And so I really think it is now even during some events, I, I just did um, the Junior Olympics for track and field a couple of weeks ago, and it's 8,000 kids under 18, seven days long, it's long, long days, it's tough. And, you know, I found myself taking a moment, you know, really trusting in the people that are working around me, trusting in my team, handing them a radio and going off site for an hour, going off site for two hours, just regrouping and getting my mind back together or getting a good lunch, making sure I'm feeding myself, you know, all these things that I used to never would do and never think about doing now, I realize I have to do that. That's just where I am, you know, in my life, in my career. 
Um, and it's just, I find that I work so much better that way and I set it up that way from the beginning. And so it's a learning curve and I, I haven't achieved it fully yet by any stretch, but I'm trying to, trying to be better about that. <laughs> well, it sounds to me like you're, you are doing uh, much better than I, uh, would do. So I, I congratulate you on that. We've got a few questions here to just kind of wrap things up, but before we get to those, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I'm sure you've got like 150 million stories, but are, are there any specific stories that, you know, either are really funny or inspiring or, uh, uh, educational, uh, that you would like to share mm -hmm. before we kind of get to the end here? Yeah. I mean, I think probably a couple come to mind, but maybe one in particular was, um, working with Special Olympics World Games in Los Angeles in 20. 15, I think that was. Um, and, you know, we talk about inclusion and, and diversity a lot and, and those are really important. But, you know, for me to really have invested myself in that and worked with a team um, of people who were, you know, Special Olympics athletes who had seen this event before um, and just having them part of my everyday life and getting to know them as people and getting to know um, what they were offering to this event, which was really, really spectacular. And I think, um, you know, that was just something um, educational for me and it, it changed the game and, and how I approach um, the people that I work with and, and the skills that we impart and the skills that they give us. And so that was just a really, really cool um, opportunity. I think, um, you know, there's been a lot um, with working on some of the Paralympic stuff. I find that to be really, really fun and really cool. And, um, you know, I've had a couple of athletes uh, who, you know, we, we, we make these, uh, I don't know, we, we create these events for them and these back of house experiences and these pathways, and all these things that make it really, really easy for them, you know, to get from A to Z. And um, I had a couple of, uh, of athletes um, who had prosthetics and, and, you know, they were like, what are you doing? We don't need all this stuff. And they're like jumping on each other's backs and they're taking them up escalators. And, you know, we were making all this, this ADA, you know, friendly pathways, which absolutely you do and we always do anyway. But it was just, it's been really funny at times to just see them be like, come on, like, we got this. We're, you know, we're, we're well, 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 well behind, uh, ahead of you here. And so that that's always kind of interesting. and. Um, humbling in a way. And, um, you know, some of those are, are some of the real inspiring stories. I think um, a couple of times I was able to work um, on some head of state visits. And so uh, I worked with um, Michelle Obama's advanced team and some of her staffers and um, got to watch her give a speech um, at the Invictus Games that was impromptu, um, wasn't planned. She wanted to do it. We set it up so it could happen and uh, listening to her inspire those athletes and them, you know, being able to share stories with her and just the time that she spent um, with them and to hear, you know, some of their stories of how they got to the Invictus Games and, and what it was doing for them as an event and as an opportunity in their rehabilitation and um, just was really like, okay, this is why we, you know, why we do this and why we create um, these opportunities to bring these people together. And so, you know, that's been really, really fun. Um, there's yeah, the funny stories are there. I'm sure they're just, they're, they're too many. I mean, I think when I think about that more, I think about the people that I've been with and where, you know, I had 
a woman I worked with in the Invictus Games who made me laugh so hard in the control room at an opening ceremony that I had to hit the floor. And I, I was like, I think, you know, I'm going to need to run to a bathroom. Like I cannot stop laughing. And it's just a level of exhaustion that, that sets in. Um, Cheryl Eisen is her name. So shout out to Cheryl out there who can, who can make me laugh like that in an instant. And it's just, those are the moments that you, you can't write that stuff. It just happens. Um, and so that, that was really, you know, fun time. And, um, I just, I love being around that kind of banter and that, um, camaraderie. And so, you know, those stories are some I can share, some I can't. Well, we, we won't try to ask you to share the ones that you can't share. We don't want to, you know, we put you in a position where you're violating any confidences or anything. Right. Although, you know, maybe off air, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about a few of those. But, you know, now, now that you've had, you know, more than two decades in this business and, and it's been super rewarding, I'm curious, you know, as you, as you look back at your time uh, working on all these events, uh, if there was anything that you could potentially or would do differently, what would it be? Mm. That's a really, really good question. And I, you know, I try to to think back and and learn from the past, but also not regret the steps that I've taken. I think, um, you know, I would have spent maybe a little more time thinking about where these major events were going and the whole sustainability aspect to it and you know, what it's really doing to cities and, and the things that I'm working on, were they really benefiting the, the the space and the place and the cities that I'm in? And how can I, you know, obviously one person can't change that one way or another, but to just be more mindful of that, I think, you know, oftentimes you just roll through these things and they're these big, exciting events and um, we build all this stuff and then we just leave, right? And so I've seen that a little bit living in Atlanta and, um, you know, the 96 games were here and you can see the things that really took off and that we still use and the things that maybe we didn't. And, um, you know, I didn't spend a lot of time initially earlier in my career thinking about that and learning about that. And so I'm just now, I feel like catching up to learning about how to do that better. Um, and so that's something that, you know, I, I, I think it's becoming more part of the planning process and, vernacular, but I think there's just more education that can be done around that. And, um, and so I'm, you know, kind of coming up to speed to that now, but I wish that would have been something a little bit more, you know, prominent um, as I went through, but, you know, in terms of the path I took, I think, you know, I'm happy about that. I of course go back and forth sometimes to think, Oh, if I would have stayed on, you know, a niche role or in the corporate world, or even in the event world with an organization, would I, you know, have some big fancy title now and, you know, all that stuff. And, that's a lot of that is, you know, I think about it and like a lot of that's ego and, you know, whatever else, but the experience that I've had and the people that I've worked with and, um, and the independence that I've had working alone and as a, a one person shop, if you will, um, I think in the end, I'm, I'm happy with that. And, um, you know, I hope that it continues forward. There's a, a pretty cool uh, event landscape ahead of us, certainly, um, in the U S but, you know, everywhere else. And so, um, hopefully it, it's, it'll keep going from here. <laughs> well, I'm confident it will uh, for you. And Bev, my my last question on this train of thought is this. So earlier in our conversation, you talked about the many mentors and uh, coworkers mm -hmm. who really have helped guide you along the way. And, you know, there might be somebody that's just now coming into this business, uh, 
and you may have an opportunity to work on an event with them and maybe they're an intern, maybe they're just uh, fresh out of college and they're, they're getting a taste of this business. They're intrigued by the possibility of working on these incredible events. And so with that in mind, what would your advice be to them, to someone who is now just, just kind of getting their feet wet, might be potentially interested in a career in major events? What would you tell them? Jump in, you know, find a place to to put your toe in the water and jump in. You know, it might be in a volunteer role initially. It might be an internship um, and build those relationships. You know, make yourself useful when you're on site. You know, I, I think it's really, really important that when you get there, that it's not so much, oh, I'm in this lane and I'm only in this lane. This is the only lane I want to be in. Just let everything unfold the way it unfolds. And if you find you've got a radio in your hand, use it. You know, if you're um, helping somebody with something and you don't even know if that's where you should really be, be there, right? Move those barricades, do the things, you know, um, listen in on, on meetings, ask people questions, you know, knock on doors. I think most people are pretty open to sharing their experience um, and and the things that they have learned. In my experience, I've, I've felt that way. And there's not too many people with their closed door um, here. I think there is sometimes a protection around, you know, is there enough space for everybody and you got to earn your, your place and all of that. But the reality is, is just the opportunities are there and, you know, to stick with it and have, um, you know, some opportunity to, to ask the questions that you're curious about. There's no question that's a bad question. Um, even though I think this industry, sometimes it can feel like that, that there are all these experts and it moves so fast. And, you know, what if you don't, you don't know the acronym or you don't know the thing or whatever, just ask the question, absorb as much as you can. Um, and make sure you really enjoy it, you know, because it's not the easiest of careers to be in and it, you have to, you know, kind of create your own path in many cases. And so if you're not really passionate about it, then, you know, don't, don't kill yourself to do it. Um, and also take care, you know, take care of yourself, right. Uh, make that a part of your, um, your path from the beginning. Don't wait until you're older and, and tired and all of those things. I mean, burnout is a real, real thing. Um, and so as much as you can be taking care um, of yourself and, and realizing that you have a life outside of this kind of work, um, and to focus on building that as much and that this is your job, um, then the better. Uh, but it is a great, exciting, you know, place to be if you're passionate about it. So jump in. We need good people, of course. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing that advice. I actually think this is a really nice segue into what you're doing now. I mentioned it mm -hmm. when I was going through your extensive biography there, the bio, but uh <laughs> You know, the last sentence of that bio, I think, is interesting, uh, which says, driven by purposeful accountability, mm. uh, Beverly is the director of Women in Sport and Events, the acronym WISE, uh, within the Atlanta Chapter Membership Program. I'm wondering if you can just tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. So, yeah, WISE, uh, Women in Sport and Events, and the WISE Within Program is what I work on, a committee there, um, and it's essentially a mentorship program, right? And it's basically about all of these women um, coming together. Um, you can join the Wise Within Mentorship Program. Um, you'll be paired then with a mentor. Um, and you, as the mentee, really drive that uh, experience. I joined that in 2006 myself. And my mentor is Ellen Lucy, who's now at the NCAA. She's a wonderful friend of mine. Um, and, you know, she was really like, come to me, have an agenda, ask the questions. I'm here for you for that. 
Um, and so it's just a really great way of instead of going out there and trying to find this person, you, you, you know, answer some questions about yourself, where you're looking to go, what it is you do and you get paired. Um, and it's really successful. And, um, you know, I think the accountability piece um, is something, you know, I have a, a fun hobby on the side, um, Live Alive, which is just about women coming together in, in groups of four um, and us keeping each other accountable to do the things we really want to do in life. Um, and so that mentorship piece is is so, it's almost like the most important thing that I'm a part of and that I do. Um, and I think, you know, it's really important that we keep raising each other up. I mean, I'm mentored as much by people who have a year of experience as I am from people who have 25 years of experience. It doesn't really matter where you are in that experience scale. It matters um, what you're willing to share and how vulnerable you're willing to be um, and what you're willing to, to teach other people and to support them. And, um, you know, if someone's down, then let's figure out how we can pull them back up and making sure I'm saying people's names in rooms that I think deserve, you know, to be there um, and all of those things, you know, coming together. So yeah, the accountability piece, it's not just about your own personal accountability, which you just have to find you have it or you don't have it. And, and sometimes if it's, if you're struggling with that, then somebody else can remind you, right. Speak back to you. Do you remember when you did this? Do you remember when you said that I watched you do this? Absolutely. You can do it. You've already done it. And here's where, you know, um, those, that kind of language around you is, you know, it's, it's really, really important. It just makes the whole thing better and more fun. So join wise. It's great. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much. Uh, and to do that, you know, I guess we'll conclude with this, you know, how would uh, somebody that's interested in, the, uh, in joining mm -hmm. wise go about that? And how would someone who has listened to you share your experience today, uh, reach out and connect with you? Uh, with, you know, if they want to learn more about events or how you could potentially help them with their next event. Absolutely. So WISE, you can go on the website um, and there'll be information there about um, the WISE Within program. Um, there's not necessarily a chapter in every city, but there are in, in many cities. So you probably can uh, find that. But even if you're there's not a chapter in your city, um, there's the national level WISE Within program and you can be a part of that even virtually. So WISE uh, is the website, Women in Sport and Events. You can find them there. For me, um, you can find me on LinkedIn. I think I'm Beverly Carey on LinkedIn. Um, or my email is also bcarey at careycommunications.net. The website is careycommunications.net. So any of those places you can find me, and I'm always happy to connect. All right. Fantastic. Well, Bev, I really appreciate you, again, carving time out of your very, very busy schedule to have a conversation today. Uh, fantastic insights and stories. Thank you so much for sharing them with our audience and listeners and viewers, please like and subscribe to our new podcast and we'll catch you again soon. Bev, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Christian. This was super fun.